Chapter 6 Tête-à-Tête Sergeant Major Renoir, Isaiah Taylor, Alain Dupre, and Francois Nunique were on their feet, compelled to stand, as they heard the MG roar across the battlefield. Isaiah let out a low whistle. Goddamn. Them boys didn't know they was walking into that old bitch MG up there. Renoir nodded. Spandau. Machine gewehr autate. And the gunner has patience and skill. Living and dying Frenchmen fell back into the trench, terrorized, halting the advance of grateful troops still stuck in the trenches. Captain Lafitte came hustling through the chaos, untouched by the gunfire, the sheen of fear in his eyes. Isaiah sighed. Oh boy, here come the man. Bet I know what this means. Sergeant Major Renoir, vous évolutionnaires devez faire ce spandau. We kept on. As you say, said Renoir. Isaiah, Francois, and Alain were already discarding kit and arming themselves up with extra ammunition and grenades, knowing it was their turn in the barrel. Isaiah primed his shotgun and grinned, glad of the rum. Lordy Lord, here we go again, fellas. Lieutenant Diesel filled the watering can, cooling the MG's barrel, while Jonah Unger coiled the empty cartridge belt and its spent brass. Joseph Friedrich Schmidt scanned the field of wounded and dead Frenchmen, a plentiful haul, surely almost enough to warrant night's crosses for them all. He smiled, squeezing Unger's shoulder, beaming with pride. Excellent! Outstanding! Yes! Absolutely superb! Unger sat himself back down behind the gun. In the quiet, he heard the cries of the wounded echoing across no man's land, and he shuddered involuntarily. His right hand trembled. His trigger thumb spasmed and twitched. He clenched his fist into a ball, trying to steal the possession until it passed. Schmidt did not seem to notice Unger's state. He was pure jubilation. He began to get an erection. He patted Unger's shoulder joyfully. One more time, Corporal, one more time, and a second island cross will be yours. Schmidt's words barely cut through enough to land in Unger's brain, but he nodded anyway. Already bearing an iron cross for this exact type of labor, earning and owning another held no allure. Just the thought of a second one's weight around his neck was unnerving. He imagined it dragging him underwater, pulling him down into a well whose bottommost depths were a cold so brutal that they burned the flesh. The last of his oxygen bubbled out of his nose in little perfect spheres, floating up and away to a surface a kilometer distant, whose calm reflected a perfect powder-blue sky he would never see again. In Unger's head, a brief flitting thought struck home. It stayed to become devoutly wished for. If a French shell struck the nest dead center right now, vaporizing them all, it would absolve his sins and give him proof of the Almighty in one stroke. But the God shell did not appear. Explosive messianic salvation would not be forthcoming today. Diesel attached a fresh belt to the Spandau. The beast was ready for another go. Unger could make no other choice than to serve him. Renoir, Isaiah, Francois, and Alain spread out, ten meters apart at the bottom of ladders. 
while the spared-for-now French troops gratefully stood back and watched. Isaiah put the last slug into his 97 trench shotgun and checked that the bayonet was fastened tight. See you fellas on the other side. Francois checked his cutlass in its scabbard. He stretched his neck and loosened his shoulders, an athlete at the starting blocks. Allow Macfinim be he whispered. A lad made certain of the buttons that kept the long trench coat from tangling up in his legs. He dropped a spare grenade into one of his pockets. Renoir allowed himself a calming breath. He looked to his men and signaled. They raced up the ladders, breaking the top of the trench in almost the same instant. Diesel cried out as he saw the flash of Renoir leaping over the parapet. They're coming! Left! Left! Unger scanned the MG left. He thumbed the trigger. But Renoir found a shell hole and dove in, tumbling to cover as rounds zipped over him. Schmidt caught sight of Francois, Isaiah, and Elan, fanned out and running through the morass. Targets to the right! Schmidt, Wolfgang, and the squad began to lay fire on them. But the legionnaires went to ground, disappearing into ditches and shell craters some thirty meters away. Renoir rolled onto his back in the shell hole. He took an oval F-1 grenade out of his coat and steeled himself with a quick breath. He pulled the cotter pin, then in a flash he was standing and hurling the missile toward the machine gun nest. He heard a cry go up from the Germans in the nest and saw the barrel swinging back toward him as the grenade hit in front of them and exploded. Renoir dropped back into cover as the MG opened up, stitching fire all around his muddy cocoon. To his left, Renoir caught a glimpse of Isaiah Taylor, a flash of blue and black on the far left flank, leaping up and sprinting forward as the Germans turned their fire on him. Francois Nanike saw Isaiah too. He slid into the next shell hole in his path and pushed his rifle up over the lip of it, sighting on the German nest. There was no shot to be had on Unger or Diestel, shielded as they were by the machine gun's armor plating, so Francois scanned the nest. He saw a bright muzzle flash from one of the riflemen. He took a bead, squeezed the trigger, heard the sharp report, and watched the man collapse. Allahu Akbar. The rifleman, Albert Schuler, lately of the quaint medieval town Rotenburg ob de Tauber, fell dead on Diestel, who shrieked and shoved the body away. He smacked Unger's shoulder and pointed to where Francois ducked back into cover. There! Shoot! Diestel saw Isaiah breaking from cover on the other side. No! To the right! Isaiah hauled his arm back and hurled a grenade on the run. His aim was perfect. The grenade skipped into the nest, sending Unger and Diesel scrambling for cover. Wolfgang saw the grenade rocketing toward him. He flinched as the metal orb struck him squarely in the chest, sending him backward with a grunt of pain. Then it fell to the floor of the nest. Someone screamed, Gunnarton! Everything seemed to happen underwater. Wolfgang fell to his knees, burying his head. Unger and Diestel tried to roll themselves away from the grenade. Major Schmidt dropped and hit the ground in a fetal position. Wolfgang saw the grenade inches from him, welcomed death one second, perhaps two, from giving him a moment's pain and shock and an eternity of silence and blackness. Rifleman Noah Brindle, the one man left standing as the grenade's fuse burned down, did not necessarily believe himself a brave soldier. He was born into this world to be a humble farmhand. He loved the sweaty labor, the satisfaction of caring for the land. He had not wanted to leave his sleepy little village of Esslingen to head off to war when the time came. 
No, Brindle had nothing personal against the French. He saw little difference between a Frenchman and a German, and was pretty certain that he would get no great joy from shooting one. So he had done everything in his power to define himself unfit for service during his training as a rifleman. A crack shot as a hunter, he had consistently failed on the rifle range, much to the consternation of his impatient, raging, patriotic shooting instructors. Poor marksmanship or no, Germany needed bodies, and Noah Brindle certainly had one of those. And even though he was loath to lay it down for the Kaiser, the riptide of war was a strong one. It grabbed hold of him and dragged him under. He surfaced at the front. And here he was, a simple little cog in a massive machine over which he had no control. And so Noah let the waves drag him wherever they would. To the front, to the rear, to fatigue duty, and back to the front. All the time, devoutly praying that these same currents would, in time, have mercy and set him back on the beachhead that was his family's modest cottage and farm on the outskirts of Esslingen. Alas, when Noah Brindle's defining moment arrived, he had little control over the event. The prevalent tide of the moment carried him where it wanted to, and it was not to be on a journey home. He saw the grenade strike Captain Wolfgang Strothman, whom he admired very much, and fall to the floor of the MG nest. He saw everyone else tucking into tight balls, making themselves as small as they could, putting as much space between the coming shrapnel and their soft flesh as possible. Noah's rifle fell from his grasp. He bent down and picked up the grenade. He cocked his arm back and threw, hurling it with all his might. The steel orb travelled swiftly out of Noah's hand. It exploded in the air when it was perhaps two feet away from him. Pieces of the grenade casing blew off his still outstretched fingers, along with half his farmhand forearm. The high explosive set his sleeve on fire. More casing struck him in the face, along with what remained of the hammer, striker, and spring. All painful, but not fatal. And if Noah had had any interest in such things, the act, under different circumstances than those that were to come, would have guaranteed him an iron cross and free lager in any tavern in Germany until the end of his days. But to his fatal misfortune, the burnt and twisted firing pin spun through the ether and nicked him in the neck, ripping through his thick carotid artery as his own scythe had through fresh essling in wheat. Noah grayed out and went into shock before he hit the ground, so there was no pain, just numbness and a sense of everything going cold as his carotid emptied itself in spurts of hot red. As Noah Brindle's instinctive act ended in the explosion, Francois and Elan rose as one and lobbed grenades toward the nest. Neither reached the target, but the bam-bam of the successive explosions gave them the chance to close more distance so they ran toward the Spandau. As he raced on, Alain saw Isaiah Taylor to his far left, disappearing past the machine gun nest, flanking it. Then he smiled, knowing that this match was close to done. Wolfgang Strathman rose up and grabbed Noah Brindle's rifle off the earth floor. He was filled with a rage he had not known since the letter 
carrying his brother Sebastian's death, found him in the trenches and delivered its brief, disemboweling missive. Half of that rage was at Noah Brindle for saving him. More than a little was for the Frenchmen who were trying to kill him, while the rest was strictly reserved for the duty and loyalty that had led himself, Sebastian, and so many others into hell. He directed the rage indiscriminately, sighting and firing without thought. The bullet raced straight and true. It hit Alain Dupre squarely in the cheekbone, within millimeters of where the sniper shot struck young Sebastian Strothman. It yawned into his brain in the same manner, killing Alain before his body collapsed to the turf in a sudden, clumsy, awkward heap. Next to Strothman, the Spandau roared back to life as Unger tried to track Francois, but the big African had already gone back to ground. Renoir's rifle rounds began smacking into the sandbags and pinging off the armor plates on the Spandau's face. Unger brought the Spandau to bear on Renoir, a quick burst of fire, and the MG was out. Ammunition! I'm out! Shit! Diesel grabbed the feed and yanked out a fresh belt. The receiver burned his fingers as he loaded the fresh rounds and slammed it closed. Gold! Fire! Boom! A shotgun's deafening report echoed through the MG nest. Isaiah stood behind them, a broad smile lighting up his features. The bayonet at the end of his trench shotgun was inches from the back of Unger's head. He tapped the flat of the blade on Unger's helmet, making a dull clank, clank, clank. How do, fellas? Y'all can surrender, or y'all can die. Makes me no never mind. The Germans let their weapons drop and raised their hands. Isaiah nodded in approval of the choice. And y'all spreckens the English? Who's the man in charge here? Major Schmidt stood stiffly beside Strothman. Isaiah eyed Schmidt. Guessing it's you, fancy pants. Y'all couldn't just fly up a white flag, could you? Couldn't just go along peaceable. Had to shoot poor little Alain in his face. Isaiah made another sound through his teeth. He raised the shotgun and pulled the trigger. Boom! Catching Major Joseph Schmidt by surprise, point blank in the sternum with double-lot buckshot. It blew a hole you could put your fist into clean through him, just about precisely where that iron cross would have hung from its pretty ribbon. Isaiah turned the barrel on Strothman. Your pants looking fancy too, Captain. His finger was taut on the trigger, gentle pressure on the steel, at the precipice of unleashing a little piece of hell, the coming ignition a glimpse into the hearts of men. Renoir's gentle voice walked him back from the edge. Caporal Taylor, ça va? This would be good prisoner to take. You for sure about that, boss? Oui, certain. If you say so, boss. Oui, I say so. Isaiah's breath slowed. His finger relaxed on the trigger. He thumbed the hammer down until it clicked into place. Francois appeared. He assessed the dead body of Joseph Schmidt, nodding approval. Merci for shooting body, not Ed. Yes, deputy. Don't say I never did nothing for you. Francois dropped into the nest. 
he drew his cutlass, raised the blade, and prepared to take Joseph Schmidt's head from its shoulders. <laughs>